Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for the Pie Factory Podcast. <sighs> so, recording we are. Mm, recording oh, no, we no, are. no, 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 no. Damn. I should we are go. recording. Yeah. Indeed. Indeed. Uh, so... Uh, this is, uh, I guess, Pie Factory Podcast episode 109-er, I believe. We're cleared for takeoff on runway 109-er. Awesome. And uh, this is Jimmy G... Uh, excuse- Damn it, I keep reading your part in the script. This is Sean from the uh, north side of Chicago here. And this is Jim from the... Jimmy G, actually. From the far southwest area of Chicago. So Really far? South, I, far... I, Far southwest suburbs of Chicago, I should say. Yeah, I keep forgetting you're like 70 miles away. Yeah, but I think we're just outside the Chicago Metropolitan Statistical Area, but they expect that to change before too long. Yeah. Because of all the warehouses and crap going up out over here. So, Hmm. Hi, everybody. Hope you're all hunkered in and and, uh, enjoying some hot beverages. and. I'm enjoying a cold beverage. Well, enjoying a beverage at all, really. Yeah. Uh, Let's face it. Uh, everybody enjoys a beverage and yeah. I've actually got some water here. Yeah. For the first time in a long time, I'm actually drinking an alcoholic drink during the podcast. I'm having a, uh, oh? a Liney's orange shandy. Liney's? Yeah, Lion kugels. We, we stocked up on those things a long time ago and we still have more left. Uh-huh. They're seasonal and not even, they don't even put them out every season. So, so you're stockpiling, huh? You're hoarding. I was, was hoarding them, but the hoard, yeah. the stash is getting smaller and smaller. Well, speaking of hoarding, everybody knows the big news that pretty much most of the country is on somewhat of a lockdown at this point. And um, this is the United States we're talking about here. I'm sure pretty much every other country is. Yeah. And um, just heard news today. We are recording on 318 that the Galloping Ghost is officially shut down for a while. That's the first time they ever closed other than, other than to let their staff go to bed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I don't know what's going on with Underground Retrocade. They're closed, or- too. They're closed. Pretty, I think pretty much Prince everybody's. Arcade, I think Prince Arcade is still open. Yeah. Don't know about uh, Pixel Blast. Pixel which, Blast um, is closed too. Are they? Okay. Yeah. And um, something that I, I told Logan this, is closed. What? Logan Arcade is closed too. Okay, I did not know that. Something that I, I was telling my wife that we know it's getting real if Galloping Ghost closes because they never close for mm-hmm. anything. Like they could, the building could blow up and there'd be nothing left but rubble. It'd still be open. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they made the right decision to close, but I told my wife that it just seems that it's always the arcades that are the last to close. Like when there's a disaster or weather problem or something. And, uh, Jimmy G, I, I have a feeling, you know, this, but do you Hmm. know what the waffle house, uh, the waffle house index is? Oh, it's something about, um, like determining how big of a disaster is by if a waffle house closes or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Like FEMA actually uses that term to describe how much damage they think a hurricane is going to cause. Like if the nearby waffle house is closed, that means that to basically run for the hills, you're not going to survive this. Mm-hmm. And so I guess like video game arcades, according to my wife, are the equivalent of the waffle house factor where we are, where we don't get hurricanes. I can only imagine uh, running an arcade right now because I'm surprised the ghost didn't close uh, sooner. Yeah. Um, just because of all the machines they have, how much of a pain in the ass it would be to have to sanitize all that stuff. Oh, yeah. I mean, for something like Underground Retrocade or Prince Arcade, it'll be a, 
or well, underground retrocade anyway, it would be a pain in the ass the way it is, but the ghost, holy cow. Yeah. I can only imagine what they would have to go through. Especially because we're supposed to be following that six foot rule. Mm-hmm. That is just yeah. really hard mm-hmm. to do. Yeah, I just hope this blows over quickly, although I don't think it will, just so that they can uh, get back in business and uh, provide entertainment for people. Yeah. But um, I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. That's what everyone's saying. Well, so That's what they say about everything. That's but, true. Hey. I think, yeah, I, I've got my own things about this, but... Uh, so there we are with that. Just I hope everyone's staying safe. Uh, there's a great uh, hand-washing tutorial from Elton Brown, which you might want to take I a look at. I have not watched I, that yet. Yeah, I've uh, put it on my Facebook page, so you can uh, copy the link from there. And, uh, he's, had, he's been wanting to do a thing about sanitation for quite some time, and uh, he's finally got the opportunity, so he did a hand-washing video. My brother says that he's like the modern-day anal-retentive chef. Yes, he is. Oh, yeah. He out-anal-retentives the anal-retentive chef <laughs> in many regards, I think. I got it. One of my favorite things to do every every year is on Thanksgiving watch his episode on deep frying turkey because it's. I mean, I would. Oh I don't, God, yes. I don't like to cook, but that is the most fascinating thing. Oh, the whole rig he did, and he had yep. like caution tape around it, and he mm-hmm. had like a siren on top, yep. or the, what do they call them? The, the rollers, the, yeah, the, on the on top of a ladder. Yep. And you ever see where he cooked Thanksgiving dinner on uh, on the engine of a car on MythBusters? I, pro- I I know I saw the episode he was on. I, I know I did. I just don't remember a lot of it for some reason. That was insane. That was a great episode. And they've successfully cooked a whole dinner on the car. They just had to drive around for several hours. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Not very carbon neutral. No. no. <laughs> and of, oh, and boy, of course, but... with all, all the stuff going down, they had, they had to cancel uh, Midwest Gaming Classic this year. Yes, which, understandable. Yeah. But... Truth be told, I kind of wish it was later in the year, other than March, but... Yeah, it oh, used well, to what be. What you going to do? It yes. did used to be, but... In fact, the first time I ever went was... In fact, you went with me in 2006. You and uh, uh, Mrs. Jimmy G went with me, and uh, that was in early June, I think, that time. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, and, and I was really, really s- saying, oh, for the love of God, don't cancel this, but I'm actually not upset. I thought I would be, No, but I'm, not. I'm not either. Yeah. It's, it was the right thing it, to do. It absolutely was. Uh, and you know, I, I mentioned in the previous episode that I got a Pac-Man Plus marquee that I want Paul Niemeyer to uh, autograph for me. I you can, can still bump into him in the area sometime, like at a Galloping Ghost yeah. event or something. Yeah. If, or just well, wait till next year, because he is the first confirmed guest for Midwest Gaming Classic 2021. So It occurred to me, I'm wondering if they're going to maybe, if somebody has got some sort of a mini thing planned for them. I know Video Game Summit's coming up in June or July. Yeah. And uh, they haven't been told to cancel yet. I have a feeling once we get through April and May, we're going to be out of the woods on this, but we'll, sure. we'll see. Um, but um, I gotta, it's just been a totally, totally bizarre time. And yeah. because of that, I've been actually playing a few games. Um, yeah, me too. <laughs> Except that I've also had to work, too, because they told everybody to work from home. So, Well, I don't have to. Ha! Yeah, my unemployment's running out. But um, a game uh, I've been wanting to play for a while, as soon as I heard of it, it's called A Short Hike. And people that ever played the uh, the game Animal Crossing on the various Nintendo platforms it's on, the characters look like that. And it's basically, you've got this character, and your mom basically sent you to this park, and she told you to hike to the top of a mountain, which is the only place in this park where you can get cell phone reception. She calls you, and and, and when you get to the top, and it's um, you're doing like various little chores for everything. And it was only like seven bucks, and it's not a very long game. I think I solved it in two hours. But it is such a fun game. If you're just like into the whole... The hiking and exploring thing. If you really like exploring, this is a great game to play. Um, it's on Steam, and um, yeah, it's really, really amazing. One I was almost bought, but I didn't. I was going to buy yesterday, but I didn't pull the trigger. Was the uh, the goat simulator? 
I think you mentioned that in a previous episode. I may have. It, basically, if the Untitled Goose game was uh, freeform, it was more like Tony Hawk skating. Which I bought and I still like, haven't played, by the way. Yeah, it's like Tony, it's like Tony Hawk skateboarding except with a goat. Oh, and, is, um, I, bought the, uh, I bought the Untitled Goose game. I didn't buy Tony Hawk. I mean, oh, t- the Untitled Goose game. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, you I gotta just, play that. Yeah. Yeah, you'll have fun with that. My daughter loves it because she says geese are assholes. So. Well, they are. Uh, I don't know if you... Oh, kind of. Nothing they are. Um, so I've been playing that. I've been playing Burger Time still. And mm. Saw a guy who did the grouping thing and tried to get as many points as he could on level two of Burger Time. Um, watched a feed, not a live feed, of a guy who got at the time, the world record for it. It took him like four hours, yeah. but uh, I didn't watch the whole thing. I like skipped every so minutes just to see if sure. I could pick up some pick up some tips and stuff. Um, I've got a cough drop in my mouth in case people are wondering. Yes, I've still got the cough. No, I don't have COVID-19 as far as I know. I'm pretty sure I don't because I've not had a fever with my coughing and then I've had like my nose stuffed up, which is not a symptom of it. Well, but, look um, on the bright side. You could still actually have it, but just not display any symptoms. That is true too. That is true. Or I could have had it and I'm already over it. There have been some could cases be, yeah. of people getting over it in just a couple of days. Where was I going with that? So, yeah, today I was watching some videos of people playing, uh, what is it, Planet Zoo and uh, Planet Coaster, and just, like, making some totally bizarre zoos and roller coasters for no other for no other purpose than to kill people. Or did you say for no other perverts? Per- yeah, I said, did say purpose, but uh, perverts works, oh, okay. too. all right. But, um, oh, gosh, you gotta see some of these videos. I've posted them today, and I'm, I just freaking died laughing. I was laughing so hard, I was coughing. And the cough is still lingered a little bit. I can actually start. I can actually sleep through the night now, but um, that doesn't mean a whole lot, especially when you have nothing to wake up for in the morning, like no job. But I'm not going to dwell on that too much because I've dwelled on it enough well, do already. Something else, you know. So, well, that's kind of hard to do because they closed all the state parks in Illinois. You can still ride your so bike. My, There's, you know, it's still. I, I think it's safe to do that as long as you maintain a safe distance from people. Yeah, I had we had a beautiful day the other day, and of course I couldn't do it because we had to go out running to the grocery store. And uh, shelves are bare everywhere, not just toilet paper these days. I went to the Mo- the Walmart in Morris, and um, bare. Fortunately, well, I had a taste for chili dogs, ooh. and um, I got like the last pack of hot dogs. Of course, they're the more expensive Hebrew National, but oh boy, those are good. Mm. And surprise, surprise, I did not know our Walmart carried this because I never saw it in with the canned chili. But our local Walmart sells canned Skyline chili. Canned. Canned. Oh, there's no way that could be good. It is amazing. And um, it was actually near the condiments section uh, where they keep hot dog sauce, which is like just coney sauce. Oh, okay. And, um, hot dog sauce. What the hell is that? It's called coney sauce. It's um, kind of hard to explain. It's a meat topping. You need to go to a dog and suds to uh, check that out. Uh, well, I, know I was going to stop at one Lake. on the way back for Midwest Gaming Classic, but that's not going to well, happen this time. They are open. They are in Gray's Lake, and uh, you can go. Yeah, they're, that, they're yeah that is since cool. They but... don't have, since they don't have indoor seating, it's a yeah. drive-up. It's a drive-in. I mean, you're good. Yeah, the uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the Ace Drive-In in Joliet's open. Uh, Super Dog mm-hmm. is open. I haven't been Super Dog in a while. I love the tomatoes they put on their, on their hot dogs. The, green, the pickled green tomatoes. Right. Yeah, oh, I, gosh, I'm not a tomato so good. person, so I, I never actually ate one of those. I love, I love their I love fries. Tomatoes. We made several gallons of salsa the other day. Ooh. It's more like pico de gallo, but it's still really, really good. Hmm. And I to- today for lunch we had chili dogs, and I topped topped it with some of the pico de gallo that we made. It was oh gosh, it was amazing. Mm. Mm. So, but I guess that's not gaming. So, uh, but yeah, I've been playing some games and doing some stuff. Yeah, that, but yeah. So, how about you? Oh, thank you for asking. I too am uh, me. Uh, let's see. I did. Oh, real quick. Um, before before we continue, 
if you've got the Collector Vision Phoenix, they just released a new uh, Atari 2600 uh, core ah. for it. So I right, just thought I'd throw that out there real quick. Well, throw it out. But anyway, it's gone. I still haven't done anything further with my uh, Mr. FPGA thing uh, in a while. So I haven't done anything in that regard, but I recently played the Atari 2600 Centipede for uh, the little uh, Ryan Illingsworth competition on uh, the Atari Age Facebook page. And man, I, I got to say that I don't know of any other Atari 2600 that is more difficult than its arcade counterpart. That one is. It really is. Because uh, you got the scorpion that the scorpion just flies across the screen like half a second. And after about 12 rounds, the side feed is just insane. It is impossible. You'll, Which once, version was this again? The 2600. 2600? Yeah. It's so freaking hard. And I never noticed this before, but when the scorpion runs over mushrooms, they mm-hmm. don't become poisonous until the scorpion completes its trip all the way across the other side. Yes. It's, mm-hmm. It must have something to do with graphical limitations or something because uh, that's what I'm guessing. if you kill it off before it gets to the other side, I mean, you will never have a screen in which on the same row you have non-poisoned and poisoned mushrooms. Even when they read, even if you knock out a poison mushroom, you knock out the entire row and you kill uh, a centipede part on that same row, it'll turn into a poison mushroom automatically. Mm-hmm. That, I mean, I didn't remember that because I, I usually play the 7800 version, which I did as soon as I decided I was done playing the Atari 2600 version. And I was like, ah, oh, that's more like it. Yeah, I still have to use a joystick, but it was still, it's still a good version. It's a great version, but my only problem. With the twenty or the seventy eight hundred version of uh, centipede, or the centip- or the mushrooms don't look like the mushrooms in the arcade. Yeah, yeah, I, I know what you're That's saying. That's kind of, I mean, it's not a big deal. It doesn't affect the gameplay at all. But I kind of wish that was at least an option. Yeah, we'll have to see if the Ken Siders trackball hack has Ooh. improved graphics. I'm not able to play that yet because I don't have a operational trackball. Mm-hmm. It's like the one that I have. There's something wrong with the rollers or something. I actually got the parts from uh, Best Electronics, I think, a year or two ago, and I still haven't put them in yet. So I I guess it shows where my priorities have been. Um, I think that was all that I really... 7,800. I've never been a a, a tremendous fan of Centipede. I don't hate the game. I've just never been a... It just never really grabbed me. But the two-player simultaneous on the 7,800 is a thing to behold. Oh man, that is so much fun! I would play. I play it with my son every now and then. I've uh, not never recently, played it that but, uh, way, and I'd like to sometime. It is amazing. Next time we get together, we got to do that. Mm. Yeah. Hey, maybe mm. at Midwest get. Oh, shart. <laughs> shart. Uh, but I think that's all I've really been playing lately. Uh, oh, I did go to Prince Arcades. Uh, oh, you a did a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Well, yeah. You know what it was? It was. Um, Oh, it was, yeah, I had to go down to my parents' house to connect their DVD player. Mm-hmm. The, the easy part is connecting it. The hard part is explaining how to use it. Yeah. And of course, I have no idea why they didn't get a Blu-ray player, despite the fact that they have this big, huge honking TV set with like 4K res and everything. But my, my mother said, I specifically did not want a Blu-ray player. But on the way back home, I stopped off at Prince Arcades for a little while, and I played the Stranger Things pinball machine. Mm-hmm. And it made me realize why I'm, I never was a pinball fan. The Stranger Things pinball machine, if you're a pinball fan, you will love that machine, especially if you like the show. Mm-hmm. 
But to me, it just seems that with very few exceptions, you've played one pinball machine, you've played them all. Other than the, the Stranger Things skinning and, the, oh, there's one cool feature that, that really stuck out to me is that there's a uh, gameplay mode that involves killing Demogorgons. Mm-hmm. And when that mode is enabled, a little Demogorgon pops up in the middle of the, of, uh, the pinball table. Oh, that's neat. And you're trying to shoot the pinball into the Demogorgon's open face. Oh, cool. And I was not able to do that successfully. If I might uh, say a few things here. Uh, one thing I forgot to mention that I played is I actually played Dungeons & Dragons for the very first time. Yeah. And I had a blast. Don't know when we're going to get to play again because people who DM are few and far between. And uh, as far as pinball goes, I've been pretty outspoken about my love for the Twilight Zone pinball machine. Yeah. Because it's probably the most unique machine I have ever played. I haven't played like, you know, what was the Hercules one or that one uh, pinball... What was the one you were talking about in, in, you saw played in Vegas, Pinball, pinball circus. circus? But the thing I love about uh, the Twilight Zone Pinball is it, it, uh, it, um, um, Snossages? it added a few, it added a few twists to pinball by, in one instance, it adds a ceramic ball into play, which goes uh, a lot faster yeah. than the steel ones. And then one of the mini play fields doesn't have paddles to repel the ball. It has magnets to repel the ball. And um, I don't know if you can get a get one of the ceramic ones up there. I don't think you can. And just the theming and uh, the fact that I love Rod Serling and his voice is all over the machine uh, kind of uh, kind of attracts me to that one. So, um, but then I've also I've also said that I do like the the Twilight or the um, uh, Star Trek Next Generation pinball and the Terminator Two pinball, which we talked about on the previous episode. Yes, we did. But. Um, yeah, there you go. Yeah. I like how how like uh, one thing I loved about the, uh, the the Star Trek Next Gen pinball is they have little different missions that you can get assigned, and then you to complete the mission you have to hit a certain uh, certain set of targets before you get the next mission. I thought that was really really cool, but um, I do like pinball. I really got into pinball when arcade just started getting overwhelmed with one on one fighting games that I had ah. no interest in. So yeah, and. Um, Pinball's got a great niche that video games can't fill, and that it's more of a, you have more of a tactile response, and um, I appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, 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 think, I think I just need to spend some more quality time on a real pinball machine or something, so I, I don't know. And uh, yeah, um, having said that, you know, we, I went to Prince Arcades, uh, we both were at Underground Retrocade not too long ago, and- We talked about it on the previous episode. Yeah. And I know that I'm pretty sure we both had recently also been to the ghost. And really, if if you are lucky enough to have access to an arcade, a local arcade, do what you can to somehow patronize that place, uh, especially in these times. Like, do what you can, you like, know what? buy a gift uh, what card. What I would do, I was going to say, exactly. I was going to say, call them up right now. and Well, not right now. You yeah. wait. But uh, see if you can call them up and uh, if they have, like, gift cards or gift certificates or whatever, because... I mean, they could use the money right now, but you could redeem it whenever you want. Yep. You both win. Yeah, and uh, in the case of Underground Retrocade, our friend D. Alex is organized. I, I need to look more into this because I'm not 100% understanding what his whole purpose is here, but it involves putting together a pool of money and some kind of gameplay competition, like in MAME or something. And it's 
basically to it, it in some way I've, oh, I I should have read this before I should have like read it a little closer before I spoke but hey uh I will uh, it's a, it's on Facebook so those of you who use Facebook I'll I'll be happy to link that in the uh, show notes but it's, it might be too late to play but it's basically also kind of a donation thing uh specifically with underground retrocade in mind and uh, they've been, underground retrocade has really been good to us for the, both personally and as a podcast for as long as we've been doing this podcast, actually, so is so is Galloping Ghost. Really, both Doc and Scott have gone out of their way to uh, to help us out on more than one mm-hmm. occasion. Yes, uh, with, they and really support your local arcades. Support all your local businesses. Really, in fact, something that my wife and I agreed to do, like during this whole weird time, is every day at least one of us try to patronize a local business somehow. Like uh, my wife had an appointment with a hairdresser longstanding and this was his last day open. So she made sure that she kept the appointment and on the way back, she stopped our local Vienna beef place and uh, picked up some carry out lunch and yeah, do things like that. But anyway, having said that, um, I, a couple of things I wanted to mention that are not video game related that I just have to oh, real uh, quick, real quick. I just see here uh, on Sean Holly's uh, Facebook page that uh, arcade club is closed until further notice. Okay. So, so just yeah. I put, put that in there. So yeah, there's the, uh, the arcade index, uh, is pretty high as it were. Um, but yeah, the other, the other things I wanted to mention because that aren't video game related, but I thought I'd just mention them, but you know, to make a uh, casual chit chat, especially at times like this, people need to hear some friendly banter. A couple of things that I watched recently, uh, I finally got around to watching the star Wars episodes one through three. Okay. Didn't hate them like I'm supposed to. Apparently, I'm supposed to hate them. I really, really loved Revenge of the Sith. They say that's the best of the three. I really enjoyed that one. Uh, And I also watched uh, Rogue One, which I did not enjoy nearly as much as everybody said I would. Yeah, I mean, I liked it. It had some good parts, and I admit I got a little emotional. It's one of my three favorite Star Wars films. And I admit I got a little bit emotional at the very end. Oh, that had a great ending. Yeah. So I'm happy to finally get that out of my system because I saw the original, th- I I can't say original, th- I, I saw the, I saw A New Hope all the way up through uh, the, the standard episodes four through nine when they were first in the theaters. And that was before, like uh, when A New Hope was out, I, w- I was barely even able to talk at the time, but I remember seeing that in mm-hmm. the theater. And so knowing that I had gone all this time seeing four through nine, that set off my self-diagnosed OCD. It's like, okay, I got to finish this off with the rest of them. So I did that. <laughs> I finally finished BoJack Horseman. That had a great ending. It had a it was something that I got to say about that ending, and this might be controversial, but it kind of leaves it open for more episodes should they decide to uh, relaunch. It does. It does. Oh, so, God, I kind of gave away the ending for people who might not have finished uh, watching it, but who want to watch Uh-oh. it. Well, not really the ending, but kind of a cliffhanger from the uh, penultimate episode. And in person, I was afraid this was going to get canceled because this was right when uh, the COVID-19 stuff was starting to go into full force, but it did not get canceled. But the rest of the shows did. The Hmm. Chicago landing of the crew from My Dad Wrote a Porno. Really? Yeah. I got to partake in a reading of the, the works of Rocky Flintstone live. And those of you who are fans of my dad wrote a porno, Rocky outdid himself. Oh no. I, I gotta tell you, I have 
never heard louder audience reactions ever, ever. It was disturbing almost what was in there. I'm not going to give it away because they're, I'm not going to give a lot away at least because I'm hoping at least they'll do another HBO special or something. Mm-hmm. But it goes beyond that. First of all, Rocky had done a choose your own adventure style thing. They were calling pick your porno. So when it got to a certain point, you would have oh, to no. decide, uh, like for example, like the whole thing focused around Belinda's 30th birthday party. They threw a, su- a surprise birthday party for her. So yeah, it would come to a part where you would have to decide whether they play past the P45. The P45 is apparently a British form that you get when you get fired from your job. And the other game to pick was pin the on the client. And <laughs> so th- th- they had different ways of asking the audience which one to go for. Like they had an applause meter for one. Another time they called somebody on stage and said, you need to call your dad and give him these two options without any context and let him pick it. Past the P45 was the winning choice. So they started to read that chapter. And James said, God, this one is so boring. Can we read the other one instead? And Jamie's like, no, this is the one you all picked. And he and Alice both like practically had a fit. And he's like, okay, okay, we'll, we'll flip over to the other one instead. So they go to pin the on the client. And Jamie is reading it, and it is worded the exact same way oh, no. as the other one. It was just, oh, it, it sounded like it was just going to be like a copy and like a find and replace. But Alice said, look, I know Rocky. I know there's no way that he knows how to copy and paste. <laughs> and Jamie said, yeah, he definitely did not copy and paste here because there are different typos. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, it, it was fantastic. There was lots of cosplay. And um, I'm not going to say why, but my wife said that Bohemian Rhapsody is forever ruined. So oh, no. if they put, if they do another TV special of some kind, you'll know why. Oh no. <laughs> I can only imagine. <laughs> oh man. But oh, that, geez. that's been my life in the past couple of weeks. Oh, I've been watch, catching up on episodes of Mike Tyson mysteries. That's a great show. I forgot that show even existed. Yeah, I forgot about it too. And um, Norm MacDonald as the pigeon is classic. I found a a clip on YouTube where it was uncensored. And uh, holy cow, the stuff they even censored, the stuff they get away with on that show is just insane. That is such an incredibly insane show. Hmm. Oh, and I did not know this. Uh, Also looking online... I did not realize what I thought was the absolute last episode of Aqua Teen Hunger Force was not the last episode. They made one more. Oh. And so I finally watched that one, and I liked the episode before it better because that actually kind of gave it some sort of uh, closure, as it were. You know, I tried to watch that before. I just couldn't get into it. I want to give it another chance, though. I really do. The first three or four seasons are are really good. I kind of dropped off after that. Uh, the, but if you watch it, the, abs- the one absolute, I don't remember the name of it. I think it's called Mayhem of the Moon. Is it Mayhem? Moon, it's called Moon Knight's Revenge, where they come down to Earth, they go to like a Chuck E. Cheese type place, and they earn enough tickets to get the Foreigner Belt, which gives the wearer of the belt all the powers of a 70 for- okay. supergroup Foreigner. Yeah. Oh, dear Lord, that episode is classic television. It was one of the most clever things I've ever seen in my life. How would you stop us when you're cold as ice? Oh, boy. 
I yeah, you you, uh, you had to be there. I had to be there. Yeah. We're gonna turn you loose to hot girls in love. That's a lover boy song. Oh boy. <laughs> and lover boy has always sucked. Oh jeez. Mm. But anyway. So I think with that, should we uh get on with it? Let's get it on. I mean, let's get on with it. Let's get it on. So um I do believe we this for the first time in a long time, we have a addenda and errata segment. Oh, yes. <laughs> And uh, something, this is going all the way back to episode, what? Uh, uh, I should have had this. Uh, this is a way early episode, I believe. What, was it episode 106? 106? That was way back. No, not 106. Oh. That was close, uh, I could do a search, but where's the fun in that? Hmm. Uh, did we, we did it before that. Oh, here it is. All the way back to episode 58 with uh, Empire Strikes Back. Apparently, and I did not know this until it was pointed out by Greg Polander, uh, thank you, Greg, that um, if you spell the word Jedi in Wave 3, from Wave 4, you can continue the game. Uh, what do you mean spell the word Jedi in Wave 3? How do you do that? Like, If you recall in the game, to get a letter to spell Jedi, you have to, you have to meet a certain goal per level, like how many probots you have shot, uh, how oh, many okay. walkers you have shot down, surviving the asteroid wave, which is the easiest one to get, sort of, so to speak. How many TIE fighters you blow up. For each one of those things, you get a, a letter that spells Jedi. And if you spell Jedi, you get temporary invincibility. But if you do that in level three, and I, don't, I haven't tried it past level three, but if you do that in level three, you can continue from level four, after level four. Okay. So oh, there okay. is a continue feature in it. Like, like, do you mean like start the next game at level four or... Well, if you die in level four, you can continue from level four. Okay. Huh. You have to spell it in level three, but if you die in four, you can continue the game from level four. Okay. Yeah, the, Atari was getting into that continue feature quite a lot back then. I should have known that Atari would have would have done that with that game because yeah. of that. Yeah, you're right because they were getting into it. Because I even believe, I even believe that Return of the Jedi had a had a continue feature, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. And, um, or, or at least so, yeah. a level select feature at the very least. Well, they all had the level select, but I think Return of the... I'll have to go back to that one. It's not one of my favorite games, to be honest, but uh, I'll have to check that out, which yeah. means I probably won't. I haven't said that something like that in a long time. So, yeah. So yeah. Uh, thank you, Greg, for uh, pointing that out to us. And he found that out on his uh, arcade one-up machine Yeah, uh, for, yeah. With, that had all the Star Wars games. I still say that it would have been awesome if they had included like Firefox as kind of like a hidden game, but that would have taken a lot of... A lot of work to put that on there. Yeah. The only yeah, reason sure, is but... that's that game, Firefox, had the same exact controls as the Star Wars games did. Mm-hmm. But they <sighs> don't have it. So yeah. we'll have to enjoy it on MAME. Yep, yep, yep. I'm not going to say it really for the time being. That's how we'll have to enjoy arcade games for the near future, but oh well. Um, At least, we, you know what? It's great that we have that option because yeah. in a time like this, oh, yeah. you know... I mean, it doesn't replicate the arcade experience exactly, but no. in a time like this, it uh, will at least scratch the itch a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, I have something to say about meme emulation later on, but uh, yeah. Oh, oh, I do too, actually. <laughs> and I, I wonder if it's about the same game. It probably is. But uh, another, uh, th- this is a, an addendum, actually. I can't believe oh. I didn't catch this, uh, but correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think there was any mention of the music used in uh, Kick man uh because there are identifiable tunes unfortunately right off the top of my head i can only think uh kickman uses 
John Philip Sousa's The Washington Post March mm-hmm. as background music. Uh, uh, you may be familiar with that because uh, the Brady Bunch used that piece of music like every other episode practically for some reason. Like if they ever needed, like someone was playing a tape recording of something, it was always that March. But uh, uh, Oh, I think, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. fun fact, uh, it's so-called the Washington Post March because uh, it was written for an essay contest hosted by the Washington Post. Ah. So, yeah. Edutainment Uh-oh. here at the Pie Factory podcast. Yes. And knowing is half the battle. Uh-huh. You know it. Yeah, I do. Uh, yeah. I that's thought we were going to save that. that. That's all I had for uh, Addenda and Arata. Uh, how about you? Is that sweet? I don't have anything else. Yay. Okay. All right. And with that, let's move on to talking about a few games, perhaps. Ooh, that sounds like a ducky idea. Oh, it's just ducky. So which one you want to talk about first? We got two games. Yeah, let's talk. Um, As per usual. Let's talk about G.I. Joe. G.I. Joe. Because I said knowing is half the battle. So that's a perfect transition. Yeah. Uh-huh. G.I. Joe. Ah. So G.I. Joe, let me just Aha. pull up my notes here. Nope, that's my resume. Ah, here's my uh, here's G, my G.I. Joe notes. Woo-hoo, it is a 1992 Joe. game from Konami. Your controller, you get an eight-way joystick and two buttons, one to shoot and one for a rocket launcher, or as it's labeled, super weapon. Hmm. The game is a th- basically a, a 3D run-and-gun. The object is to defeat Cobra's plan to take over the world. If I might read from the arcade flyer, oh, and I might, no, I will actually. <clears throat> Yo, Joe, Cobra is up to its slimy tricks once again. They are planning world domination through mass terrorism. The team forces must unite to advance and stop the menace of Cobra in G.I. Joe, the new video game adventure from Konami. Team G.I. Joe members Duke, Roadblock, Snake Eyes, and Scarlet have their work cut out for them. They have been individually trained in specialized military areas. Snake Eyes is a mystical martial arts master, most dangerous when he is unarmed and cornered. Roadblock is a heavy machine gunner who is also adept at hand-to-hand combat. Scarlet, whose strength is military intelligence, is no wimp when it comes to kicking butt. Duke, trained in close-range fighting, is looked upon as the guidance counselor, big brother, and offensive coach to the G.I. Joe unit. Together, they get tough on the ruthless Cobra Commander and his sleazy Cobra Vipers and Toxo Vipers. After attacking big cities, Cobra begins to spread mass destruction and chaos. G.I. Joe must destroy the chemical plant to rid the world of Cobra's toxic terror tactics. They advance through to the airbase where Cobra Commander's dive-bombing planes, helicopters, tanks, and legions of soldiers are ready for battle. Then it's showtime at Cobra's weapons plant, where the high-tech destructive arms are being manufactured. When the weapons plant is destroyed, Cobra Commander threatens to launch powerful missiles targeted at cities all over the world unless G.I. Joe lays down his arms. Or its arms. It's not a person. It's an organization. G.I. Joe, never surrendering, searches through the depths of the jungle for Cobra's secret military base. Once they find the base where Cobra is storing the deadly missiles, G.I. Joe fights through it to the ultimate showdown with Cobra Commander. It's time for G.I. Joe to get down and dirty and show Cobra how tough they really are. Join the ranks of a fearless team. G.I. Joe, a real American hero. Which, okay, G.I. Joe is definitely an American toy and brand, and Mm -hmm. when they released the toys and the original Atari 2600 game uh, Cobra Strike, which has nothing to do with this, worldwide, G.I. Joe was referred to as Action Force, Hmm. which this is all throughout the world. This arcade game is known as G.I. Joe, though, so I'm kind of wondering what happened there. But um, this is an interesting game. It's a 3D run and gun. Depending on the cabinet, it can be one to four players at the same time. I first played uh, my first time was a four player. That's what she said. And uh, your joystick will move your character left and right as the terrain, like, comes toward you. But it also 
moves a crosshair above you so you can shoot things in the air on the ground or whatever. It's kind of an interesting dynamic that they have going on there. There are three things that, uh, three, well, I'll call them power-ups, even though only one of them is really a power-up, that you can get from shooting enemies. One is an R, which gives you the player rapid fire, which means just hold the button down and you can fire all over. You'll know you have rapid fire because there'll be an extra set of crosshairs around the crosshairs that you already have. You'll also get a missile, which adds one to your rocket launcher, and you can only have a maximum of nine rockets at any time. And then a third one, much less seen. You'll see lots of the missiles around. The one you see the least is restore the player's health. Now, you can choose from four players. I'm going to go over their bios here real quick. Duke. When Duke is in command, he bellows his orders like that of a seasoned general. The troops follow him without question. He is capable of assessing situations and come up with quick solutions. Even high-ranking officers who know him well respect him and would even listen to his orders. And to think that he is only an enlisted man is to underestimate him. Oh, yeah. Duke Let's enlisted... keep that in mind, because i got to bring something up like that later. Okay. Duke enlisted in the United States Army in 1967 and graduated at the top of his class at the U.S. Army Airborne School, Jump School, at Fort Benning, Georgia. After graduation, he studied Han Chinese and Southeast Asian dialects at the U.S. Army Language School and opted for Special Forces, Green Berets, in 1969. While serving in Vietnam, he received the Medal of Honor and two Bronze Star Medals after single-handedly rescuing 34 POWs from a heavily guarded enemy compound. He was a senior instructor at Special Forces schools before turning down a field commission in 1971. While still serving with the Green Berets, he served with Chief Warrant Officer 3 Deschale, R. Fairborn, and Specialist Marvin F. Hinton. We'll get to Marvin F. Hinton in a moment. He joined Special Counter-Terrorist Group Delta in 1983 as its acting first sergeant and was selected as the team's field commander when Hawk was designated commanding officer. His real name is Conrad S. Hauser. He's born in St. Louis, Missouri. Ah, oh, poor guy. And he's a Master, master Sergeant E-8, acting first sergeant. Now, Scarlet is the second one you can choose from. Scarlet is an extremely talented woman. She is already a gifted martial artist thanks to her family of black belters. That's, I don't know if that's a word. Her father and three brothers are all martial arts instructors. She began training at age 9 and earned her first black belt by age 15. She eventually enlisted in the army, served in Vietnam, and underwent all sorts of special training. Ranger school, covert ops at Langley, marine sniping at Quantico, SASR exchange, rock marine taekwondo symposium, finally settling on intelligence work. She stands as the only member of the Joe team who has duties that are kept confidential from the rest of the team. Despite all her deadly skills and serious work, she still manages to have a sense of humor. Real name, Shanna M. O'Hara. Birthplace, Atlanta, Georgia. Alias, Agent Scarlet. Snake Eyes. One of the few mysterious and more dangerous members of the G.I. Joe team, Snake Eyes served as a recon ranger in the jungles of Southeast Asia. All that can be said after that stint is he went on a long sabbatical, most believe it was in Japan. Some say he was training with the same ninja clan that begat Storm Shadow. Storm Shadow is a ninja that works for Cobra, but he's not in the game, unfortunately. Which is kind of weird, because he's one of the more popular Cobra characters. Anyway, we know his fighting skills have become more efficient and deadly. Rumors surfaced that when he was recruited into the Joe team, he was hunting rabbits at the time, with his bare hands. He's a Master Sergeant E8. He's, his specialty is infantry hand-to-hand -hand combat instructor. His training is karate, kung fu, jiu-jitsu, ninjutsu, taekwondo, among others. Advanced infantry training, MACV, Rikondo school. Here's the weird thing about the game. When you start the game or when one of your lives, you, you lost a life and a new life comes in, there's a little portrait of the character you're playing at the bottom of the screen, and it'll say, Yo, Joe. All of them say that. Duke, Snake Eyes, Roadblock, Scarlet. Problem is, it's in the cartoon series, Snake Eyes does not talk because he had an injury to his larynx. 
Oh. So he cannot talk. So that's kind of a, what does they say? An anachronism, I guess? Anachron- no, an- anachronism is when something is out, is like, okay, like, like, say, like say somebody like. Like a, somebody having a cell phone in 1941. Exactly, exactly. Okay, like, so that is uh, not consistent with the character, let's put it that way. So, and here's my favorite, here's my favorite character, and we're going <clears throat> Roadblock. Well, he's my favorite character because I love his story. His story is the best. Within the heart of a man lies the desire to become a gourmet chef. That's you must true. know that by looking at Roadblock. With his size and brawn, he can carry a 50 caliber Browning machine gun with an accompanying 50 pounds of ammo and still endure the powerful recoils. That fact alone is enough to scare the enemy. In actuality, he's one of the most amiable members of the Joe team and has a great source of camaraderie. Aside from his impressive strength, he could take your K-rations and whip up something more appetizing. Roadblock was setting to go to Francis Escoffier school by working as a bouncer until a recruiter convinced him the army could train him just as well. He was appalled by the menu and preparation techniques in the army kitchen that he requested a transfer. And that is how Roadblock got into the infantry. So, he carries a gun because... He just couldn't deal with how they prepared the food in the army. I love his story. He's got the best one. Isn't that always the way? It does seem like it, yes. His real name, again, is Marvin F. Hinton, which we mentioned in Duke. Uh, His birthplace is Biloxi, Mississippi. He's a Staff Sergeant E6. His specialty is infantry, heavy weapons, and he is a cook. Now, the only thing about the game, at least with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles uh, arcade game, you had the four different characters. They each had a different weapon. There's really no difference between these characters. They all have the same abilities. Uh, I just, was wondering I guess, about that because when I was playing this, I, I accidentally selected a different character one go around. I didn't mm-hmm. realize until I was halfway through the game. And I didn't notice a single difference. Yeah, there's no difference uh, other than uh, when they say, yo, Joe Scarlet's got a woman's voice. That's about it. Yeah. So um, I wish they would have done something a little bit more, but uh, oh, well, um, you know, they didn't. What are we going to do? We're going to do a freaking podcast. That's what we're going to do. Dang straight we are. Now, there are three missions in the game. The first is uh, divided into three sections. Just like Gaul. Chemical plant, airfield, and weapons plant. And the boss character in the first one is Tomax and Zamot. They are known as the Crimson Twins, and uh, they actually started, well, their knowledge is of law and finance, and uh, Cobra recruited them because of their knowledge in that, So because they were able to, through lawsuits and Wall Street trickery bring a lot of money into the Cobra organization. They're also the leads of the Crimson Guard, which are basically, they are to Cobra what the Secret Service is to the president. No, no, wait a minute. Are we saying that they commit like stock fraud or something? Probably. Huh. That's what their specialty is in lawsuits and in uh, finance. Mm-hmm. What are the SEC They're more the business that? end of Cobra, huh. and they are the first boss in the game. Uh, they are. They were born in Corsica, and uh, they had training in the Foreign Legion and in the banks in Zurich. So Ooh. the second boss, and this is in the airfield section, is Metalhead. Differing from many anti-tank specialists, Metalhead is someone who rises above enthusiasm to hone his craft and his equipment. The level of glee to which he takes when he destroys enemy armor or even just maintaining his equipment has unnerved his own compatriots in the Iron Grenadier Force. He has increased efficiency by making his launchers light and ultra-portable, strapped to a special backpack or hip-holstered for easy movement. Special electronics in his visors connect to his launchers, enabling him to merely see the target to feed coordinates for his missiles. And lastly, he doesn't need to pull the trigger to do the job. His weapon system is voice-activated. All he needs to do is say, bang. 
hmm. which is something they didn't put in the game, which I thought that would, but, but then again, there so, would be probably so many explosions going on that you probably yeah, wouldn't notice. Yeah, I can totally see that. But his real name is Stuart A. Finley, and he is born, his birthplace is Annapolis, Maryland, and he's part of Destro's army, who we'll get to in a moment, and his specialty is anti-tank weapons and ordnance. And the th- final boss in the first mission is the Baroness. The Baroness, uh, one thing I gotta say, all the villains when in the boss fights, when they come on screen, they say the most cliched stuff, like, <laughs> did you notice this? It's like, it's now or never, or it's yep. like, I can't wait, or don't make me mad, or stuff like that. It's just so stupid and cliche. And it's like, and it's nothing they would say in the in the cartoon series, and Actually, I am a little disappointed they didn't get the voice actors from the cartoon series to uh, reprise their roles here because that would have been awesome. But, again, this is made by a Konami, a Japanese company, so maybe they didn't have yeah, the Yeah, that might have something know. to do with it, too. But, yeah. anyway, the Baroness serves as Cobra's intelligence officer and lieutenant to Cobra Commander. She is a dark, sensual femme fatale whose beauty is matched only by her ruthlessness. She is the child of a pair of wealthy European aristocrats who made sure their daughter got what she wanted. Somehow, along the way, as she grew up, she joined a group of student radicals, then moving on to extremists, and finally into the ranks of Cobra. Along with Cobra Commander and Destro, she is the part of the ruling Triumvirate. She is privy to the secrets of both men, especially Destro, with whom she shows a special interest, wink wink, nudge nudge, say no more. Her loyalty is divided to both men and would not hesitate to play them against each other. Her real name is Anastasia Cicernova. Cicerovna. It's Smith, okay? It's pronounced Smith. Smith. Okay. Her birthplace is unknown, but it's believed to be possibly East Germany. Uh, Her alias is Anastasia de Cobre. De Cobre. I see what they did there. Uh, Her specialty is intelligence, and she's a fixed-wing pilot and sabotaged. And the second mission, the first part is a jungle... And the boss at the end of it is Major Blood, spelled B-U-L-U-D-D. There are many things that Major Blood is known for. He is known for his despicability and greed. It is said he would willingly rent out his grandmother as a tackling dummy. Well, I would do that with my Um, Mm mother-in-law. He has a reputation... Did I say that out loud? He has a reputation for holding poetry in high regard if only his poems could also be held in the same standard. Blood served in his home country's Special Air Service Force, where he held the rank of major and then transferred to the French Foreign Legion before embracing the life of a mercenary. He is proficient with explosives. With explosives? Explosives. He's proficient with explosives, Goldfinger. He is proficient with explosives, long-range sniper rifles, and many forms of infantry rifles. He is wanted in three continents for numerous crimes, particularly in the countries of Rhodesia and Libya. He is engaged in assassinations, mercenary infantry, and playing the part of advisor to military dictatorships. Blood is easily identified by his eye patch and snidely whiplash style mustache. His real name is Sebastian Blood. His birthplace is Sydney, Australia. Specialties are terrorist, assassination weapons, and tactics. He was trained in the Australian Special Air Service and the French Foreign Legion, and he has experience with all NATO and Warsaw Pact weapons and vehicles. And the boss at the end of the cavern sequence, Destro, is one of the most cunning forces the Joe team has ever faced. He is the power behind Mars, Military Armament Research Syndicate. No, not the Cheese Castle, but a military group. Mm. One of the largest manufacturers of -of state-of-the-art weaponries. His business is fueled by inciting unstable countries to wage wars against each other and then getting them to purchase weapons from him. To him, war is simply man's expression of his most natural state. It is the perfect example where the fittest survive and where many technological advances are made. His biggest client thus far is Cobra, with whom he maintains an alliance of convenience. 
Despite being a manipulative person, Destro maintains a sense of honor and actually respects the Joe team for their skills and expertise, if not their motivation. The silver mask Destro wears is his most distinctive feature. It is forged from beryllium steel. For centuries, the Destro clan designed and sold weapons. In an incident dating back to the English Civil War, an ancestor of his was caught selling weapons to both sides. He was forced to wear a steel mask for his crimes. Neither side were willing to execute him because they still wanted his weapons. Rather than taking it as a sign of shame, the Destro clan turned it into a symbol of pride. The patriarchs passed it down as tradition from father to son for over 20 generations. And the thing I love the most about it is it's a totally metal thing, but in the cartoon, his lips move. His metal lips move. Hmm. That is so awesome. So, any rate. Any rate. His real name is James McCullen Destro the 24th. He is born in Colander, Scotland, alias the Specialist. Specialist. And the final is you're on the Cobra Commander airborne aircraft carrier thingy where all the missiles are. And, of course, the boss is Cobra Commander. Not much is known about the, of the background of the man they call the Cobra Commander. What we can tell is how he works and how he thinks. We know that he has deliberately started political and social conflict in a number of areas. He has amassed an army by recruiting displaced people, promising them money, power, and a chance to get back into the world that hurt them. In return, he demands that they swear absolute loyalty to his cause. What is his cause? World domination. Cobra Commander does not delude himself by justifying his actions as matters of principles or glory. He knows that he does it for control and power. He is ruthless, hatred personified, and totally obsessed. A meticulous person, he likes to personally oversee vital projects himself, even engaging in military combat himself on occasion. Not much is known about him. He is a master of disguise, and he has appeared in a, as a goatee artist-looking man with a son in a coma in the Marvel comics. His appearance in the 12-inch G.I. Joe line shows him as a man with dark, slicked back hair. His appearance constantly changing leaves him assumed to wear a mask. What? That sentence makes no sense. Even the commander can he- keep his identity from the people around him. Now, in the game, Cobra Commander is fought twice at the end. First, should I spoil it? I'm going to spoil it. First time he's a robot, and the second is the real one. And all of these character bios are taken from the site gijoe.fandom.com. Uh-huh. So I'm going to link to that in the show note. And um, I did some research into the origins of um, Cobra. G.I. Joe is pretty straightforward. It's a, it's a branch of the American military, right? Yep. But Cobra has a couple of different origin stories. One of them, there was a G.I. Joe movie cartoon in the late 80s. Uh, they It was released direct-to-video. It was supposed to be released in the theaters like the Transformers cartoon was. But uh, apparently Cobra was a young scientist in this place on Earth called Cobra La, and he got disfigured by an experiment, and, and it led him to uh, take try to take over the world something like that, but he was actually a pawn of another character who I don't remember, but in the cartoon movie, he was voiced by Burgess Meredith. Really? And, um, yeah, and, of course, he was so incompetent that uh, Destro and some of the other people in Cobra went around the world to get the DNA of different famous wartime leaders, including, like, Napoleon and Alexander the Great and all of, and um, Attila the Hun and whatnot, and they... uh, took the DNA, and they created the ultimate leader in Serpentor. And so the TV cartoon after that was like kind of a power struggle between Serpentor and Cobra Commander. Let's be honest, both of whom were pretty much incompetent, but Cobra Commander much more so. And then in the more recent uh, G.I. Joe cartoon, which name is escaping me for the moment, Cobra Commander actually started out as a guy who was idealistic, but then something happened, and um, his like son got killed or his wife got killed or something, and uh, it just made him go slowly mad until he wanted nothing more than world domination. Oh, yeah, and the more recent cartoon took place in uh, Springfield, Illinois. That's where Cobra started. Interesting. So, uh, they, they just say Springfield. They don't say Illinois. But um, there are so many Springfields. 
Yeah, hence the Simpsons using it. I always yep. thought the Simpsons were in Springfield, Illinois, because they talk of a Shelbyville not too far away, and there is a Shelbyville not too far away well, from Springfield, Illinois. Well, the thing about Illinois. that is the reason they did that is because there are Shelbyvilles near a lot of Springfields. That I did not know. So there you go. The game, it's a, it's a low-scoring game, as the case with oh, yeah. all the Konami games of that time frame, although not as low-scoring as any of the Turtles or Simpsons games. I mean, is it the same way? It's like, what, one point per kill or something? Something like that. You don't get hardly anything for the... Uh, boss characters. There are no ports of this game. Uh, however, it is a very similar gameplay to a Konami game called Devastators, which was released in 1988, which was sort of the you see behind the character and the characters running. The only difference is that game didn't have a lot of, I don't know, eye candy It was and it was like a slow slog. Whereas with this one, there is stuff going on everywhere all the time. It's like constantly throwing stuff at you. And it's a, it's a pretty action-heavy game. Quite unusual for its time. And it really makes a really good use of the uh, the graphics. Characters, I would argue, at least the Joes, it doesn't make great use of them. Again, because they pretty much all have the same powers. But, um, yeah, I mean, visually it's a treat. And in fact, mm-hmm. the, the one problem with this game, it is, even though it's uh, on my uh, version of MAME, it says it's properly emulated, there are a lot of graphical glitches in the MAME emulation. Uh, there are places where it's like the ground is supposed to open up, like at an angle, but it just, you don't see it. Uh, with the Destro fight, Destro's vehicle goes underwater, but you don't see any water. Huh. It's like just the floor of the cave. And might I add, I think that the, the cave level of this game is actually pretty uninspired. The rest of it, I think, is mi- insanely inspired. So the game plays fine in MAME. It's just watch out for the graphical glitches. What? Um, watch out for snakes. One thing I love in this game is the third sequence, the weapons plant, where you're on an elevator and it's just ki- constantly going up the building, and you see all the platforms come down. And I did not realize this until I was playing it a couple of years ago, that uh, if you keep shooting at the platforms or firing rockets at them, you can make the platforms collapse and killing everything on the platforms. Oh, did I Did I know that? I don't think I knew that. Huh. I, I love that sequence. That's my favorite sequence in the game. That is a fun sequence, for sure. I, I wish they would have held on to that for a little bit later, although when you descend, go into the cavern, you descend into it. So you get kind of a similar thing, although not as fun, I think. Yeah, this is a, I love, I'm going right out right on this right now. I love this game. First time I ever played it was at the Aladdin's Castle, Louis Joliet Mall. They had the huge four-player cabinet with a gigantic screen, largest screen I'd ever seen up to that point. And um, it was, I, did they have a monitor on front, on top of it? I don't know if they had, a, I don't think they did, because I don't think they could get a monitor to show this one. But this, you have to really see on a, on a huge screen. Now, I know they have this at uh, Galloping Ghost, and I think it's in a two-play or in a, it's a, and it's in a multi-cab with uh, Devastators, I believe. It doesn't have the same effect because it's only like a two-player and it's just a, a normal monitor, but it's still worth playing. Yeah, I, I absolutely love this game. Oh, and I have to add this here. Not only is my brother, and I've mentioned him before, being a huge Star Wars freak, at the time he was a huge uh, G.I. Joe freak as well, and he had most of the toys. And one he never had, he always wanted, was the aircraft carrier. And he didn't have that one because at the time it was released, it was 100 bucks, And so he never got that one. But, um, yeah, I... Well, before I, we go on, what do you think of the game, Sean? Let's talk about your opinions, your oh, perceptions my opinions. of it. Okay, uh, well, I gotta tell you, I was never, ever, ever, ever into G.I. Joe. I never had the slightest interest. I mean, it was one of these games in which you suggested it, and the thing is, I'm not gonna say no, because I, I have no interest in it or whatever. It's more like, hey, I'm not gonna... V- Why should I have to disagree just because I don't know the game or I don't like the game or whatever? Having said that, I was shocked at how much fun i had playing gi joe i it was 
I don't know what it was. I, I really don't know what it was about it. There was just something satisfying about just releasing all that firepower and just. I, I was mm-hmm. actually, I actually repeatedly continued on this one. This was in Maine, by the way. I, I wasn't really? able to play this in a uh, arcade. I haven't been to an arcade in a couple of weeks, but I, I just, I just. And you generally don't continue games. I generally don't. No, but I, I kept thinking this is fun. I want to do some more. I want to do some more. Yeah, well, I'm at it. I mm-hmm. might as well see how the game ends. So I kept continuing. And having said that, though. I know there are people who could probably one CC this thing, but I don't. I personally don't see how it's possible. Actually, I could see somebody one CCing this game more than, say, Ninja Turtles or The Simpsons. Really? I think it's more possible with this because there's uh, with 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 like the the beat 'em ups or the fight and go rights. It's like you're always seem like you catch an unfair hit or something from from the enemy. In this game, you're shooting things and you don't really get close to the enemies. I mean, you can. Oh, yes, you can. You do, you know? Oh, yes, you can. But, I mean, there's no hand-to-hand combat in which you can, um, where you're, you're, you're automatically at a disadvantage to the computer. This has more in common with, with Commando than a beat-em-up game. And I, I really think it is possible to 1CC this one. Oh, speaking of, like, you, you dropped a lot of genres just now. And there's one term I did not hear you mention. I might have missed it. It's always possible that I missed oh. it. You actually did say this. I did not hear you describe... G.I. Joe as a rail shooter. Is there any reason for that? No, I didn't. It, it, it pretty much yeah, is. Okay. Okay. So I, the thing is like, I, like, I, I really just want to make sure that I really understand what I'm talking about. I mean, if it is, it is great. Then, uh, cause yeah, that was the first thing I thought. It's like, this is a rail shooter. I don't like rail shooters, but I did like the game. Yeah. I did. This is a rail shooter. It's got a lot going on. And I really hope that somebody in the Chicago area gets the, uh, gets the dedicated G.I. Joe cabinet. Cause that is a sight to behold. It was an amazing experience playing this game for the first time. Yeah, this game, I just I just absolutely love this game. It's it's easily one of my favorites. But uh, before we give our final ratings, how about scores? Oh, how about scores? Uh, let's see. For How about scores? For gastrointestinal Joe, uh, this is interesting. Twin Galaxies doesn't have a arcade track for it. They don't. Oh. They have a main track for it, and it shows Travis Warnell, or Warnell, I'm not sure how it's pronounced, on uh, February 7, 2012, scored 5,516. So, yeah, you were not kidding about this being a low-scoring game. I think that would be uh, be a 1cc, it, that score. It might be. I don't know. I don't know. I didn't watch, I didn't watch the, uh, the video. Because the thing about when they do MAME submissions, they upload the INP file. So that way you mm-hmm. can actually load it into MAME and watch the goings-on. So I, I, I didn't watch it, but... Uh, Orcade.com, A-U-R-C-A-D-E.com, has two different tracks for it. One single player, one okay. two-player co-op. For the single player, it looks like they have Fred DeHart, uh, who scored... Ah, we've mentioned him before. Yeah, yeah I, I've met Fred on several occasions, actually. And uh, he scored 2,646 on April 20th, 2014. And for two-player co-op, Matt Rocco and Fred DeHart... 2,596 on December 30th, 2014, both at the Galloping Ghost Arcade LLC. Wait, is it an LLC? I don't know. (laughs) Doc, if you're listening, are you an LLC? (laughs) Are you a limited liability corporation? LLP? Or are you a Goomba? I mean, a GMBH. Yeah, or or BSC. I don't know. But hey. And uh, uh, how about out of uh, our rating system of one to five continues? How about you? This is an easy five for Wow. Me. This is an easy five because there's so much going on. The sights, the sounds, it's just amazing. The scaling, the scaling hardware in this game just does a fantastic job. 
of uh, making it actually seem like you're moving forward. And um, if I was going to knock it down to a 4, it would only be because the MAME emulation has graphical glitches in it. Nothing that affects the gameplay. Yeah, you can't you can't let MAME affect your, your rating. It's not, no, it's not the fault right, of the I game can't. at all. At least I have the experience of actually having seen it when it first came out in the arcade. So I know exactly know what it looks like, and that's uh, a memory that'll never be taken from me. <laughs> so yes, this is an easy five. Absolutely love this game, and this is, this would actually thinking about it be probably one of my uh, desert island games. Really? Huh? If you can find a desert island with a power source, that's true. Solar, solar panels. All right. So hopefully you bring solar panels with you wherever you go, so that way you can. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, I would. I'm kind of teetering between three and four, actually. I, oh. The reason I, I say kind of, I'm kind of leaning a little bit in the three direction is I can't imagine repeat like repeatedly playing this game. I can't imagine going back to it. I had fun playing it mm-hmm. the first time. And uh, yeah, actually, when I was playing this in Maine, when I, I finished the game, I was like, oh, cool. I got to see this. Uh, I got to see this. I went to another game after that and never went mm-hmm. back. So I, I'm going to have to say a three that might force me into the four, especially if I might get a chance to play the actual arcade game. Fair enough. That's fair enough. So I'll put you down as a three. Yes, please do. Uh, I mean, I was actually kind of impressed how much you actually kind of liked this game. And, um, yeah, this is, I just love this game. I I guess it doesn't hurt that I grew up with GI Joe and my brother was like into all of the action figures and stuff. And I was, would, uh, play with his toys and stuff. And Oh, by the way, you know why they're called action figures? Huh? They're called action figures because boys don't want to play with dolls. Ah. That's what, actually what I read in the Wikipedia article on G. I I think it was the Wikipedia article on G.I. Joe. Oh, fun fact, by the way, this isn't the first G.I. Joe uh, game to hit the arcades. Oh? There was a pinball machine in the 40s, a G.I. Joe pinball machine. Ah, uh, but that was probably not based on the licensed characters, though. Ah, uh, probably yeah. not. But it is still technically a G.I. Joe game, just yeah. not a video one. Yeah. You know what G.I. stands for? Gastrointestinal. General issue. General issue, ah. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember exactly what that means, but I, you know, there you go. Where? So I could look that up, but I'm not going to. But they can. Yes, you can. I winked into my microphone when I said that so that everybody can hear the little visual clue that uh, they can go look it up. Did you touch your face? No. You better not have touched your face with that. No. I did wash my hands recently, so I'm allowed. Ah, okay. Uh, So, yeah. So, yeah. Hmm. So, great game. One of my all-time favorites. And I noticed it's been a while since I gave a game of five. That was all the way back to Cloak and Dagger. Wow. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, see? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So why do we say we move on? All right, let's move on. So what what game do you have for us this time? Aren't you going to talk about Boot Camp? I was hoping you would, but I guess I have to do some work then. Uh, ah, Boot Camp. Aha, Boot Camp. Yay. But what's... Remind me, are we... Do we have a little stinger intro for, for the games this year? I don't remember. I think we're just winging it. Just winging it? Just winging it. There. That's how we... Yeah, yeah, see? Yeah, yeah. Uh, boot let's camp. see. Yeah, boot camp. Yeah. <laughs> boot camp from Konami, and uh, it was released worldwide in... Uh, and I suddenly lost my place in my notes. It was released worldwide in May 1987 under the title Combat School. In the U.S., however, it was released in August 1987 as Boot Camp. Boot Camp. And first thing I want to do, actually, is talk about the control panel in this sucker. It is a one to two player game, and each player has a red trackball and a ambidextrous pair of buttons. That is, 
Each player has two buttons on the left, two buttons on the right. The inner buttons are shoot or attack, and they are blue. And the outer buttons are jump buttons, and they're red. Uh, oh, oh, by the way, asterisk. Here's a footnote for that asterisk. Actually, Combat School uses a joystick. Ooh. Oh, really? It uses a joystick. Bet you didn't know that there, did you there? I did not. You did not. Uh, so <laughs> the gameplay, uh, I have a lot to say. I have a lot of observation. Well, I don't know if I have a lot, but I have uh, something kind of ranty that I have to say a couple of times here. You control a character named Nick, who is a new army recruit going through basic training, and you compete against an opponent, either a second player or a CPU player called Joe. So it's Nick and Joe. There are several steps that you go through in the game, and the first step is a obstacle course. It is a side-scrolling race that you have to complete in 35 seconds. You compete against a CPU player or against a second player who is playing with you. Uh, you do not have to win the race. You just have to finish it in 35 seconds or fewer. Uh, or that be less, because uh, you're talking about a group of 35 seconds. You're not necessarily talking about separate seconds. Yeah, screw it. <laughs> 35 seconds or under. There. And uh, in that obstacle course, you have to jump over or climb over these obstacles. They look like they essentially act as hurdles. If you've ever seen, say, Full Metal Jacket, you've seen these things in basic training. Uh, Or if you've ever been in basic training, you've probably seen these things. So you use the jump button to go over these little hurdle-like obstacles. And then you race across monkey bars. I love the sound effects in the monkey bars. Because you can can hear Nick just kind of like... I don't know if grunt is the right word, but as he goes through, it's like, <laughs> oh, yes, 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 yes. <laughs> I love that. If I might, if I might add my thing to my favorite sounds in this, yes. in this game, at the end of the level, he's like, good job. <laughs> Nick. I love that. Every time he addresses you, there's a big pause, but it almost sounds like he's being sarcastic or something. Yes. <laughs> Nick, that is your real name. You made it, Nick. Which is weird because drill sergeants usually don't call you by your first name. They call you by your last name or they give you a... a, I mean, I've never been in the military, so I can't verify this for truth. Or they they give you a nickname or something. So I I can't... They wouldn't call him... I love it. Unless Nick is his last name. I don't know. It would be funny if they added, like, a little video of him or a little animation of him, like, pulling out an index card out of his pocket. (laughs) Good job, (laughs) Nick. Well, usually they have their names (laughs) on their uniforms. (laughs) That's true. That's true. But this... this, Who knows? This could be the army of, I don't know, Cloud Cuckoo Land. I don't know. I don't know. And I, I got something to say about that later on, by the way. So, so yeah, if you make it in 30 seconds, the dr- if you make it in 35 seconds or under, the drill sergeant says, you made it, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, what I else? Love the, that. Uh, you get a base score. Now, the way the scoring works in this particular course, it, I think you get 10 points for every tenth of a second that runs off the clock. But the thing is, you have to maintain a consistent speed. And if you don't, it, the scoring kind of slows down. So the faster you go, the higher your score is going to be. And there is a bonus pattern in almost all of the steps in this game. And that pattern is you get, for a certain range of whatever, you get an extra 1,000 points and an extra second for the next step, uh, or 2,000 points and an extra 2 seconds, or 4,000 points and an extra 3 seconds, or extra 6,000 points and an extra 4 seconds, or 8,000 points and an extra 5 seconds, depending on the range. And in this step, the ranges are respectively finishing two to three seconds early, four to five seconds early, six to seven seconds early, mm-hmm. eight to nine seconds early, or 10 or more seconds early. 
And what I love about this is when uh, he jumps off the monkey bars and runs across the timeline, he's like, gasping for breath and he he's like hunched over. I, mm-hmm. I kind of like that touch there. Uh, so you get to that screen and then there's a uh, screen after that that kind of shows you what step you're on, what's coming up next, what what your next step is. And that next step is firing range one. Mm-hmm. You are in a field with the drill sergeant. There are sets of targets that just kind of pop up out of nowhere in the middle of the field. And when that happens, the drill sergeant yells, fire! And you use the trackball to move crosshairs over the target, and you press or hold at the shoot button to shoot at the targets. And again, you get 35 seconds plus any bonus seconds from the previous round. And you have to hit a minimum of 44 targets to proceed. And I'll get to the uh, must-do-this-to-proceed thing in a momentarily. (laughs) And for scoring, you get 100 points for the first target and an additional 100 points for each additional target you hit within the set of targets that pops up. So it might go 100, then 200, then 300. If you hit all of the targets in the set, you get a 1,000-point bonus. And again, you get bonus points and bonus time, uh, depending on whether you hit 48 to 51 targets, 52 to 55 targets, 56 to 59 targets, 60 to 67 targets, or 68 targets or more. And I'm trying to think, I know that in the middle of this, there's a cut screen. I don't remember if it's after this particular round, but there is a cut screen that I'm trying to remember. Oh, the cut screen is uh, the entire platoon, is that's what it's called? Uh, They're out running with the drill sergeant, but Nick is lagging behind and panting. So that's a a nice little touch there. The next step is the Iron Man race, which is another obstacle course. And you have to run across terrain that includes bushes, creeks, and rocks. Uh, The creeks and rocks you have to jump over or else you'll fall down. Yeah, you'll, uh, there, there are little puddles that you'll trip over, so I don't, I don't know what that's all about. There's also a river in which you can either swim across or you can swim to a canoe and paddle across the river. Uh, the general recommendation is get to the canoe if you can because it's faster mm-hmm. than swimming. And you have to avoid logs that are floating in the river. They'll slow you down. And the scoring is basically the same as in the uh, obstacle course. There's a, your score is constantly increasing, but you have to maintain a constant speed. And you get the same bonus that you get in the obstacle course. After that, you get the second firing range, firing range two. And it appears that you're in the same firing range as firing range one, but instead of targets, there are little miniature tanks that that Mm -hmm. come out in formations. They have little red lights flashing on them. You have to shoot a minimum of 52 of those little tanks. And the tanks come out in formation. It kind of reminds me of, say, uh, the formations you get in the Galaxian series and uh, Gyrus. And if you memorize the patterns, you can get a pretty accurate... Ah, Accuracy. You could get a. You could get a pretty good. You uh, could get. You could get pretty accurate. You get pretty accurate. Yeah. Can, of course, you get a two thousand point bonus if you shoot all the tanks in a formation. Other than that, it's a hundred points per tank, and you get uh, those extra seconds added to the clock for the next eve. Oh, by the way, this is also, I believe, uh, thirty five seconds. You get uh, seconds added from the previous step if you actually complete it early, and if you complete firing range two early as well, uh, you uh, get a bonus based on whether or not you hit 54 or more tanks. So 54 to 55 tanks, 56, 57 tanks, 58, 59, 60, 61, or 62 and more. I want to say that after this part, there's another cut scene. You're just kind of chilling out with Joe and Joe's smoking. So, ah, that's a good message to send to the young'uns, I think. Uh, The (laughs) next step is arm wrestling, and this one lasts 30 seconds plus whatever bonus seconds you accumulated the previous round. It is you, Nick, versus Joe. I think, but I'm not really sure because I never actually got far enough to know for sure. I had to watch videos about this, but I think you actually use the shoot and jump buttons track and field style. At least that was implied by a YouTube video that I watched. It may be a trackball mm-hmm. thing. I don't know. Uh, you, yeah, you move the trackball back and forth for most of the running events and stuff. But uh, the scoring, um, I really can't tell how this is scored. I don't think you actually get a base score during the arm wrestling match. I think you only get bonus points if you win. And uh, that's that there. And step six 
is firing range three, uh, which will last 25 seconds plus a few bonus seconds that you may have gotten in the arm wrestling event, as it were. Mm -hmm. Again, you're shooting at targets, but this time, in addition to bullseye targets, there are some targets that are little illustrations of, say, what I guess is supposed to be a commanding officer. You're supposed to hit the bullseye targets, but not the targets with the little drawing of the officer. If you do hit the wrong targets, you lose time. You have to hit at least 52 bullseye targets. The scoring is pretty simple, 100 for the first, and then every additional bullseye target in the formation, in the group that pops up, you get an additional 100 points. And what's weird about this round, if I understand correctly, unlike with the first two firing ranges, you don't just freely move the crosshairs around with a trackball. They're actually in fixed positions. Oh? It's not 360-degree movement. It's left or right movement, and it Mm -hmm. just jumps from one position to the next. Kind of hard to explain. You kind of have to see it to Mm -hmm. understand what I'm saying. But if you manage to finish and get 52 bullseye targets before that time runs out, then you move on to step seven. You fight with your instructor, and at this point it essentially becomes Mortal Kombat without uh, spine removal. It becomes a one-on-one fighting game with uh, various combinations and things. Apparently it's really easy to jump over the sergeant, uh, but that's, that's it. That's your basic training. So step seven is your fight with your instructor. And if you win the fight with your instructor, you graduate, and you are given a rank Yay. based on your score. And the different ranks are rookie, private, corporal, sergeant, master sergeant, second lieutenant, first lieutenant, and captain. Uh, chances are if you get this far in the game, you're not going to be ranked higher than a corporal, simply because you haven't scored enough <laughs> points yet. It's based on your score. Now, the next step just has a question mark next to it. You never know what it is until you actually get to it or until you listen to Pie Factory Podcast Episode 109. When is that coming out, by the way? Uh, right now. Oh, awesome. It's coming out as soon as the first person hears this. As soon as the first person who downloads it listens to it, that's when it comes out. So, yeah. Um, anyway, uh, after you graduate, you have a mission to fulfill. The mission is, well, they tell you that terrorists have taken over and you are to rescue the hostages. And I think the last hostage is implied to be the president of the United States. You are going through what appears to be the Capitol building, maybe the White I think it's the Capitol building, actually. And the game essentially becomes Double Dragon at that point. It's really a beat-em-up. People are just, ah. there are attackers just coming at you trying to stab you. You have to kick them away. Yeah, yeah this is another, okay, here's something I got to talk about here. This kind of crossed my mind when you were talking about G.I. Joe and how that one character, was it Duke, I think, who is so respected that he actually even has command of people who are ranked higher than him or something Mm -hmm. to that effect. So somebody with not the appropriate experience has control over his superiors. So that's kind of an underlying theme here because you just freaking finished boot camp. Basic training is usually, what, nine weeks? So after nine weeks of that, you're assigned a terrorist mission to rescue the president (laughs) with no weapons. Think about that. Now, if you were going through, like, Green Beret or Navy SEAL training, sure, I could well, see that. Okay, but maybe, not okay, boot camp, I don't know any, but not boot camp. Okay, I really don't know anything about Green Berets or Navy SEALs, but this might be Green Beret because in the attract mode, there is a soldier wearing a Green Beret, so it might be the Green Berets. I don't know if it's just the uh, combat school attract screen or if the boot camp attract screen also has that, but one of them does. But anyway, that's the game. You rescue the president, and then the game's over, and you are assigned a rank based on your final score, so you'll get promoted. And that's it. And Oh, and speaking of which, there's another mystery that I have to talk about. Now, I'm assuming this is the army, okay? Especially because we both kind of recognize the Green Beret thing. The Green Berets were a division. I would say it's army based on the basic trainer's hat. Okay, but and that too. That, I, could be, that could be Marines too, though, now that I think well, about it. Well, that's another thing. How, does the, do the Marines have a Green Beret division? I mean, I don't know. That's Navy. Because there's what Navy is Green but Beret. But there is something. Oh, no, no. Army is Green Beret. Navy is SEALs. Okay, that's yeah. Right. And But that's the thing. It's, it's kind of ambiguous because in the scene when you're given your mission, you're talking to what I think is still the drill sergeant, which is weird because unless you're watching Stripes, 
once you graduate, mm-hmm. the drill sergeant is no longer part of your life, if I understand correctly. That's, Great movie, by the that's way. That's why they call him the drill sergeant. He's there for drills. But there he is. Where's your drill sergeant? Blown up, sir! <laughs> but there's the drill sergeant again, but you addressed him, but you say to him, yes, sir. You say that to a sergeant in the army? Do you know what happens? They get pissed off. Hmm. They say, I'm a sergeant. I work for a living. Oh, You're yeah. You're supposed to call mm-hmm. him sergeant, or whatever the rank is, I'm guessing. I Again, I've never been in the military. It's the Marines where you call your, your, your sergeant, sir. But thing is, though, in the Marines, you're told the first and last thing out of your mouth is sir. You wouldn't say yes, sir. You would say sir, yes, sir. Mm-hmm. So there's kind of a plot hole there, if you want to call it that. Oh, by the way, Jimmy G, Jimmy G. Yes. I, I'm sure there's some military person, some either current or former military personnel among our listeners who might be able to clarify that. But anyway, we do have to open up video game physics for this. Uh, hide Uh-oh. the intro, please. It's time for another edition of Video Game Physics. Thank you, Monsieur St. Pierre. In this edition of Video Game Physics, we examine the properties of a drill sergeant. In the running games, the obstacle course, and the Iron Man race, at the very beginning, you see the drill sergeant on the screen timing you, basically telling you when to go. So you run, you run, run, you do this, you get to the other side of the obstacle course or the Iron Man race, and the drill sergeant's there to meet you. Either the drill sergeant has teleporting mm-hmm. abilities... Or off screen, the drill sergeant like ran really, really, really fast or cheated and used a golf cart or something to get to that other side. Oh, identical twins or an identical twin. Yes. So that that's video game physics. The sergeant has mm. that ability, either that or has an identical twin who by an. Ast- it could also be video game genetics as or well. Or genetics, too. too. But yeah, it could have been hmm. an identical twin who, by an astonishing coincidence, happened to be assigned to the same exact unit as the drill sergeant. Or it could be a doppelganger. Or it could be a doppelganger. Sure. Could be, uh-huh. but it's the same See, we guy got in the that. same we voice, got all our bases too. Covered. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nick. But um, <laughs> having said that, there are some home versions of boot camp slash combat school. Uh, there's the Amstrad CPC version, the Commodore 64 version. Actually, it was, it was released by both titles in the Commodore 64. I think Konami released the one that was called boot camp. Uh, otherwise, they're the exact same game. It was just distributed under different titles. Uh, there's an mm-hmm. MS-DOS version, which really sucks, by the way. The graphics are terrible. Mm. There's the ZX Spectrum version. I think the ZX Spectrum version was released only under the title Combat School. You won't find it under the name Boot Camp. If you look for Boot Camp, you'll get a completely different game. And there was an Amiga version announced, but never actually released. Uh, I th- the Commodore 64 version is surprisingly really, really, really good, by the way. It's incredibly smooth, really good graphics. I mean, they're not nearly the quality as the arcade. They're not nearly as I've heard the, good things the same about quality it. as the arcade, but it's really good. Uh, so having said all that, uh, Jimmy G, do you have anything that you wish to uh, contribute to this little discussion of uh, whatever the hell game is? Boot camp. Boot camp. Combat school. No, not really. Other than that, I um, did not realize that combat school was a joystick game. So I'm going to yeah. have to give that one a shot. Because I have not really been able to really play this that well because it's a, a trackball game. And yeah. uh, I, I have played it a little bit, but it's like uh, right now I can't locate my uh, Sega sports pad controller. And um, so I was playing with a mouse, and you just cannot play this game with a mouse. I actually tried a desktop trackball with it. It, uh-huh. it's, it works to some degree in some events, but man, the shooting range, the firing range, not so well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see that. And let me tell you something. I played this at Galloping Ghost not terribly long ago, shortly after Doc unveiled it, actually, back, I think it was in December. Yeah, it was one of their more recent acquisitions. Yeah. Oh, my God. 
I have never gotten so tired so quickly from playing a video game. So it is freaking exhausting because like it's it's a pretty big track. Well, it's not a huge trackball, but it's a big one. It's like I think probably about slightly smaller than a missile command trackball. And it's mm-hmm. kind of a heavy one too. And it just it is just so tiring to move that thing back and forth. Oh man, I was out of breath. Also partly because I'm terribly out of shape too. Well, there's that. Would you say it's as tiring as Atari football? Atari football is easy for compared to this. Oh, my goodness. I can play okay. an entire game of Atari football. Well, that's football. true, because Atari football is based on a timer. You don't have to complete a thing, whereas this is you have to, is, is a version of track and field. Well, it's also based on uh, a timer. You part. have to finish. You, know, you have to move as fast as you right, freaking but I'm can. Saying, but I'm saying your game doesn't end like in 90 seconds. you got 90 seconds of playtime, and that's it. I mean, you could keep going on and on and on past your level. You could be playing this game for 10, 15, 20 minutes if you're good at it. Yeah, because, I mean, you could go back and forth in that trackball on the obstacle course, and you're going to be dead tired at the end, and then you realize, oh, God, I got I to gotta do this for another event. Oh, speaking of other events, if you don't finish an event, but I, I don't know what the trigger is, sometimes mm-hmm. you can make up for it by completing 10 chin-ups in 20 seconds. Mm-hmm. I, I was not able I to... I recall that coming up after the first shooting range. Yeah, I always got it after the first uh, obstacle course, actually. But I think there's something that triggers it. I wasn't able to figure out what it was. Uh, It might something that I read said that if you're really close to finishing, but that's not true because I've been short just say one target or by or I was like an inch away from the finish line, but I I still didn't get the uh, chin up option. Mm -hmm. So you do your chin ups. You're given 20 seconds to do 10. I was never able to do 10. Personally, oh, and by the way, if you fail at any of these steps, including the chin-ups, the drill sergeant mm-hmm. will say, what does he say, go back to your mother? Go home to your go mother. Go home to your mother. Go home to your mother, Nick. <laughs> Darn it. Darn it. And the, the thing with the Nick thing, the Nick, what was what was the other character's name? Joe. I, I, I don't Joe. It's not like, all they had to do was, like, create a second set of the of, of the audio. Yeah. They didn't have to, so they didn't have to pull the other audio in so it could sound better. But, gosh, it's, it's kind of like English. Oh, <laughs> by the way. Oh? I forgot to mention uh, some awesome English in uh, G.I. Joe. Oh? And when you complete the game and you go through all the missions, uh, it comes up with a screen that says, Finally, Cobra Commander launches the missile battle. Oh, no, I'm sorry. This is before the uh, final mission, before the, uh, the battle, the flying uh, aircraft carrier. Finally, Cobra Commander launches the missile battleship to conquer the world. The final battle between G.I. Joe and Cobra starts now. Expect to come Oh, next. my. The game is not over yet. Oh, boy. Expect to come next. Oh, gosh, I love that. I never caught that any other time I played that. The last time I played it, yesterday, 17th of March, I, I, I saw that and I'm like, I freaking died laughing. Oh, boy. <laughs> so, yes. Because arriving is funny. English. Oh, yes. And it doesn't even make any sense in the context <laughs> of the game, either. Expect to come next. What does that mean? <laughs> I'll send you a pamphlet. Oh, okay. Oh, gosh, that was... Or maybe Eugenio can send you when he's a doctor. Um, sure. Let's go with that. But, yeah, um, anywho, uh, when did you first play Boot Camp slash uh, Combat School? Well, soon, near the time it came out, and I played it at the Louis Joliet Mall in Joliet, oh, really? Illinois. I never heard yeah, of it. The Aladdin's Castle. I never even heard of it until Doc unveiled it at uh, Galloping Ghost. Yeah? But, yeah, and, and I, I gotta say, and then, so, obviously, I first played it at Galloping Ghost, it just looked so fascinating. I mean, I was getting tired of the usual stuff that they, yeah. Something I got to say is late, lately galloping ghosts unveilings have been quite a nice change of pace. I got to say. Yes, they have been. Mm. So glad to see that. Uh, And yeah. And boot camp was, I just thought that was such a unique. Wait, is that, is that grammatically correct? I don't think unique gets any kind of qualifiers. It's either unique or it's not. Uh, It's such a different type of game and I, and I was fascinated i couldn't wait to play it having said that i'm rating it only three out of five continues 
three mm-hmm. out of five. Cause man, see, I want to like it, but the, tr- it's the track ball that does it for me. It is so freaking exhausting. Uh, I haven't tried the joystick version though. So I am, I, I should give that a try. I really should. Yeah. I think I'm going to give it a three for the same reasons. I want to like it more, but it's, um, yeah, it's just the control. Yeah, and it is hard system. as hell to emulate, too, even if you have a trackball. Yeah. If anybody listening has a, a suggested good way to emulate this, we're all ears, Factory at fab4it.com. And it's just the controls that holds this back, because this is an, a, a, a great twist on the whole track and field hypersports yeah. oh, yeah. uh, situation. Yep. And I really enjoy what, I really like what they're doing. Graphically, it's a pretty good game. The sound effects are adequate for what it needs to do. Nick, and <laughs> but um, if we could just find a if they, we could just find a different way to control it, it'd be great. And that's in the arcade too. I'm not just talking at home. I'm, it's an arcade as well. Yeah. Of course, a two button thing wouldn't really work well with this, like track and field does. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Having said that, though, uh, there are some high scores I can talk about for uh, please, please this do. game, uh, which is called uh, Boot Camp here and. Uh, combat i was almost gonna say combat zone or combat rock it's combat school not here and here being the united states of the america uh anyway uh the high scores we have this is another game that interestingly twin galaxies doesn't have an arcade track for but it does have a name track and juan cobos scored two hundred eight thousand ninety, and that was submitted uh april 13th 2010 and by the way that was the combat school variation so he would have used a joystick Arcade.com, again, A-U-R-C-A-D-E, Pete Gores, scored 134,550, and that was performed December 9th, 2019. Oh, was that a Monday? Was that a Monday? I got to check. Hold on. Oh, that was a Wednesday. Okay. I, I was thinking, okay, was that when it was actually, was that the day that it was unveiled at the ghost? It was not. It was not. Cause that's not, ah, a, it's, okay. it's very common for an orcade.com record to be set the day of the unveiling. Cause everybody's mm-hmm. trying to get a turn at it. So there we go. Uh, I, I'm, I'm done talking about boot camp slash combat school. How about you there? Uh, G, G, Jim, uh, G, Jimmy, what the hell is your name? Jim E G Bob. Um, I was done talking about it the moment I started talking about it. Oh, we had to it. go no. another... Yeah, uh, I'm done with it. You had to go the uh, Aqua Teen Hunger Force direction on that, didn't you? I did. Yeah. I did. Because that was one of my other favorite episodes, the Space Conflict from Beyond Pluto. Aha. Uh-huh. Great episode. So, at any rate, um, I'm done with it, so I, th- I, th- I think we're pretty much done here. Should okay. we reveal the theme? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You, do you want to do it, or should I okay. do it? You do it because I think you do it. Okay. Okay. All right. The theme, uh, you're probably thinking that these are both like military games, which is true. They are, but actually military games from Konami. Actually not. That's not what we had in mind. That's not what we had in mind. That was the decoy theme. The actual theme is that, well, we wanted to talk about two Konami games because the night that we recorded episode 108, we found out that Kazuhisa Hashimoto, who invented the Konami code, died. Up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, BA, yeah. start. I, I, okay, I want to say this. Technically, I don't think start is technically part of the code itself because 
It's just no, it's just it a, isn't, but it gets thrown it, in there because. Yeah. Yeah, I know because it, oh, and, and you know, and if you want to be technical, if you're going to throw start in at the end, you need to throw start in at the beginning because it requires you to pause the game. Aha. Okay. Oh, okay. All right. And you found out that the Konami code works on the. Uh, oh, what was it? The uh, what's that Nintendo cab? They have it underground retro. Oh, the uh, yeah, it was on the uh, the Play Choice. The Play 10 Choice. Yeah, I keep forgetting the name of that thing. Yes. Yeah. But yeah, that was interesting. I never thought to check uh, to check those. Huh. But yeah, that, that now, some it. versions of Gradius, some home versions of Gradius are a newer ver- newer version and have the code taken out. But uh, I do, I like, it was, I think it was one of the Gradius games on the Super Nintendo. I've, I've said this before. If you do the Konami code, it actually ends your game, destroys your ship, ends your game. <laughs> well, it's like the uh, the cheat in the it. Amiga version of the original Laser Suit Larry. Oh. Yeah, I think you've mentioned, yeah, I mentioned that, that before, yeah. where in the uh, little uh, typey any part, you type cheat, then it returns you with a message that says, okay, you win. And then the game exits yes. and you have to reboot to yes. do anything. <laughs> yes, that's awesome. I love that. It's probably in the other, it's like the very, very first issue of the first Leisure Suit Larry game. I don't think it's in the reissue where they spiced up the I graphics. I haven't played those games. I haven't played those games in the year. Yeah, me too. That. I've got, and I bought them when, uh. Good old games had them had a package deal for sale for like twenty bucks for all the games, mm. including the one that started it all, um, <clears throat> Soft Porn Adventure. Oh, um, okay. Oh, speaking of which, I want to thank some people who have been financially supporting uh, for us, uh, uh, including Soft New, Porting, New ba- including New Balance Stores, Phoenix, Underground Retrocade, Keith Sheehan, Christian Williams, D. Alex, Lance Endries, Richard Valdez, Kurt Musgrave. Timmy Mack, PJ Steele, Art Guglielmo, Airshack, Steve Steiner, Rory Coleman, Frank O'Dragon, Kyle Etter, Atari Bytes, the SNES Podcast, Richard Grounds, Tim Foley, and Nate Lockhart, of course. Thank you all for Thank you guys. supporting us. And um, so, oh, and I just want to say, um, with all the stuff going on, with more people losing their jobs and being out of work because of the pandemic, if you feel you need to stop your support, just do it. Should we just stop it for them for for a month or two? You know what? That's not a bad idea. Why don't we do that? Yeah, we'll do that. We'll do that. Well, for like the next month. Yeah, yeah, we'll stop it. Okay. Yeah, that sounds that sounds like fair. Uh, I I I know that nobody's like giving like a million dollars or anything, but still, every little bit helps. And if you want to support something, support the people who are affected by this. by, by this like recession as it were. So, uh, please do that. Please do that. And, uh, everybody for the guy, for the love of whatever deity you choose to worship, if you do worship a deity, please stay safe. And, um, when we did the episode a few years back where the hurricane had hit the Houston area, uh, and we had donated money to, uh, NAMI because of, because of the hurricane and nobody was addressing the mental illness, uh, situation. Um, now would be a good time if you're going to make a, make a donation to any organization, I would say go to NAMI because there's a lot of mental stress given with going on with the virus and the recession all at the yeah, same time. Even with people who are otherwise so, okay, they're still going through a lot. I know. I have almost broken down in tears the last couple of days myself. So this is, again, this is something you guys know. This is something very important to me. Yeah. So Yeah, and thank um, you. If for, I thank was you for, a, had a job, if I had a job currently, I would be donating generously to them. Yeah, thank you for bringing that up, too. Thank you. Uh, oh, but anyway, for uh, next episode... God, that was a terrible transition. I felt, I felt bad for that. So for the next episode... Which will be 110. Uh, what, we were, we're going to be talking about, what, Munchmobile and Guzzler, I think? 
Munchmobile and Guzzler. Munchmobile and Guzzler. So, uh, yeah, anyway, uh, this is uh, Sean from the uh, north side of Chicago. And this is Jimmy G from west south of Chicago Shea. Oh, and I got to sign off the way I'm supposed to sign off this year. Uh, uh, for a little bit of help, I need like a noun, like a person or a profession or a thing or something. Rock. 185 rocks walk into a bar. Bartender says, we don't serve rocks here. And the rocks said, why? The bartender said, because they always get too stoned. This episode of the Pie Factory podcast was edited and produced by Hyde St. Pierre. Opening and closing theme is The Happy L, composed by Sean Courtney. Love theme from Addenda and Arata was composed by Jim Goble. Follow the Pie Factory podcast online via Facebook, on Twitter at Pie Factory PFP, or on piefactorypodcast.com. Support the show at patreon.com slash piefactorypodcast. <laughs>